Welcome to the Stull Community of Faith podcast. May you be blessed as you listen to our Sunday scripture and message by Pastor Kyle Scheidemann. Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you people, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, be great is, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Thank you, Brenna, for leading us with our scripture lesson. It's always such a joy to be able to come before you. And I would like to uh, mention this morning, um, since we're, uh, we're just doing our, our message on our podcast, uh, to let the folks know that are joining us on the podcast or however they're joining us this morning, along with you here to be, uh, we welcome you to our Stoll Community of Faith Church. I'm Pastor Kyle. And I, want, I meant to earlier to say, if you, are, if you guys are into Facebook or you're, you're on social media, go ahead and feel free to check in if you'd like to. Uh, you know, some people go, oh, we don't want to, you know, that distracts. Oh, of course it doesn't. Check in and, and let people know where you're at this morning if you're, if you're into doing that. And if you're not into Facebook or Twitter, we're going to have uh, Facebook, Twitter, Media um, 101 coming up one of these days. So we'll kind of help you get, get through that. Now may the Lord, the words of my mouth, but the meditations from all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our God, and our Creator. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, drive away the chaff that the kernels of behind might truly nourish us. And we ask this the comfort and peace of our Holy Gospels. Amen. Uh, some years ago, uh, in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, there was a, there was a newspaper up there that's called the uh, the News and Observer. And they published a really kind of an interesting article, and it was, how do you measure up as a man? Well, this was back in, in the long time ago, back in the 20th century. You guys remember the 20th century, some, some 30 years ago, maybe, uh, 20 years ago. Anyway, this was, goes way back into what it was like in the 20th century, and when they made, measured up the standards of a man. And the criteria was quite interesting, and I, and I thought I might list them uh, for the men here this morning, just to, just to see how, how you measure up. Well, the first thing is his ability to make and to conserve money. Well, that lets me out right away. Number two is the cost, the style, and the age of his car. Pretty important. And this is my favorite, how much hair he has. And then there was his strength 
and his size. That's pretty important. And as we look at, as we look at the different things that, that we're supposed to be living up to as men, it's also what sports do we like, how many clubs that he belongs to, and his aggressiveness and his reliability, and of course the job he holds now and how successful he is at it. Well, you know, Jesus Christ, he also set down some eight principles that measures up person. But his standards are, are in a stark contrast to the aforementioned. And there would be a, appear to be a wide gulf between the popular image of the successful person and what God sees as the successful person. So here's what happened. Now we know that Jesus is now, he started his ministry. And he's really starting to gain in popularity. I mean, the word is out. Uh, the large crowds are gathering. And he has just handpicked out his disciples. And on the quiet of the rolling grassy hills in northern Israel by the Sea of Galilee, and I envisioned in my mind a nice hill over here at Lake Clinton. You know, you're looking down upon the lake if you want to get a little bit closer. So Jesus, he delivers a sermon to the multitude. And there are acres and acres of human faces sitting there listening intently to him. And the crowd that was there, they represented a cross-section of humanity. There was rich there, there were poor, young, old, doubtless there were varied races there. And those in that group were astute businessmen, and there were also those that were failures. In fact, the crowd that Jesus spoke to that day represented the whole world in a miniature, all kind of gathered in there. But yet, as different as they all were, Jesus understood that they were all there on the same quest. They were all there after the very same thing. They all wanted happiness. Well, we're just like them, aren't we? Isn't that what we really want for ourselves? Isn't that what we ultimately want for our children? Is happiness? The problem is that we don't really grasp the true nature of happiness. And because of that, it so often eludes us. You see, we think that happiness deals with our outer circumstances. We think that the truly happy person is the one who has achieved our success. And so, our Beatitudes would read something like this. Blessed is the man who makes a fortune. Blessed is he who earns six figures. Happy is the man who has a palace in the city and a summer home in the mountains. Blessed is he who has won the applause of his peers. And blessed is the woman who is recognized as a darling of society. But on this special day, Jesus shared with his disciples and indeed with all of history that the concept of happiness is merely a foundation built on sand. 
Happiness is not all based on what we have at all. True happiness is based upon who we are. Happiness is not based on the kind of house that we live in. It depends on the kind of people who live in that house. It is not the kind of clothes that we wear, but it is the person that wears the clothes. It is really important to understand that Jesus did not give the Beatitudes, and Beatitudes is, is a word that means blessed or happy. He did not give the Beatitudes to that crowd that was gathered there. If you go back to the scripture that Brenna read, the scripture very clearly states, and seeing the multitude, he went up to the mountain, upon the mountain, he sat down with his disciples and began to teach them. So the Sermon of the Mount has been described by some as being the disciples' ordination service. So why did he do that? Why didn't he just give the Beatitudes to the crowd and let them come to their own conclusions? Well, maybe for the simple reason that we must know Christ our Savior before we can know him as a teacher. Unless we have a relationship with God, the, the attitudes will just seem ludicrous. They fly in the face of everything that the world has taught us. The problem so often is, is that we put the cart before the horse. We study the teaching and we hope that it will change us. And the fact is that Christ is the one who will change us. And as we are changed, we adhere to his teachings. And so thus the Sermon on the Mount is the pattern of living for those who have received Christ as their Savior. Now, with this thought in mind, I would like to focus on two standards of living as set forth by Jesus, which we call today the Beatitudes. Jesus began by saying, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does Jesus mean by poor in spirit? Luke states Jesus' words a little bit different than what Matthew does. He states the Beatitudes, blessed are you poor. Thus we're presented with a problem. Those who have wealth can say, well, you know, Jesus isn't talking about money. He is talking about spiritual poverty. And those that are poor can say, well, no, he is indeed speaking of financial poverty. And thus the rich thank God for Matthew and the poor, they thank, thank God for Luke. But both can say, he blessed me. So then, who is correct? Well, chances are neither one. 
For it is exactly this attitude of self-praise and self-justification that robs a man of his need for the kingdom of God. When one says, I don't need to be poor in things because I am poor in spirit, and another says, I don't need to be poor in spirit because I am poor in things, both are saying in unison, I don't need. And we can never receive a savior unless we first stand in need of a savior. The story of the Pharisees and the publican illustrates this. The story does not say that the Pharisee was rich. Indeed, since his prayer was, I thank thee, God, that I am not an extortioner like other men. When he says that, we might assume that he was that he was not a wealthy man, but in those days, extortion was about the only way that one could amass wealth. And nor does the story say that the publican who prayed that day was poor. Indeed, he was like many publicans of his day. He was very likely very wealthy. At any rate, the point of the story was that regardless of their outer circumstances, the Pharisee expressed an inner need for nothing. The publican admitting, admitted being a sinner and was in need of God's mercy. And each received what they felt they needed. It is true that it is easier for a poor man to recognize that he has a need than a rich man, but it is neither wealth nor poverty that keeps a man out of the kingdom of God. It is pride. Jesus is saying that the first step to personal happiness, the first step to our pilgrimage to coming to God is that we get rid of pride. Pride is the root of all sin. Blessed are the poor in spirit because that means we must decease so that we may increase. In Copenhagen, in Denmark, there is an unusual statue of Christ. There it is. After the bronze had been cast to the statue, something happened. And they don't know if it was because of the temperature or maybe if it was because of poor casting. But if you see the head, the head of the statue is bent over. And so the decision of the church was to leave it that way. And the idea being that if one chooses to look into the face of Christ, they must first be on their knees. And this is what being poor in spirit is all about. As much as possible, pride must be vanquished from the heart. Poverty of spirit must be placed within. And when we have done this, then we are ready to take the second step into the kingdom. And that is, blessed are those who mourn they shall be comforted. Again, in the eyes of the world, this seems almost ridiculous. I mean, we usually handle those who mourn 
by avoiding them. Laugh, and the world laughs with you. Cry, and you cry alone. Isn't that how it goes? We handle those who mourn by attempting to get them out of their mourning state to cheer them up. And yet, here is Jesus saying, blessed are those who mourn. Now, doesn't this simply perpetuate the stereotype of religion as being droopy-eyed and sad-faced? A mourner, in the sense, however, is not necessarily one who weeps, but one who shows concern or who maintains a spiritual sensitivity. To be a candidate for the kingdom, one must be genuinely grieved about the way that things are. The person who says, oh, sure, I agree. Oh, you know, the world, it's in such a mess. That person is not expressing a genuine grief but a resignation. Our problem is, is that we want victory without suffering. We want cheap grace. We want a promised land, but we would really rather avoid the wilderness. We want the resurrection, but we would prefer to avoid Calvary. We want God's blessing, but we want it without his purging and purifying our lives. The purpose here is not to turn the world into a world of dark gloom, but rather point out that if we avoid suffering, if we avoid grief, then we can never really be truly sensitive. Over the years, I've lost uh, my parents, um, I've lost uh, a brother, I've lost uh, many close family members, and, and these folks have been really close to me. And I don't mind saying that, you know, it's hit, it hit, hit me hard. And to this day, I still think of them. I don't think about them often. But the truth is that because I suffered that sorrow in my life, then I can more effectively minister to those who are in sorrow. Perhaps maybe before those events, maybe I really didn't understand. But now I truly know what it feels like when, what people feel like when I go to minister to them about their loss of their loved ones. So blessed are those who mourn, for they have the potential of being more sensitive, more open to God, and more caring individuals. So how about you? What losses have you had that make you more sensitive? Blessed are those who mourn for the children of broken homes. Blessed are those who mourn for our cities 
and for their plights. Blessed are those who mourn for our, our ignorance, despite our higher institutions, our institutions of higher learning. Blessed are those who mourn for those who have hardened their hearts to sin. Blessed are those who mourn for our churches who have yet to deal with the issues that plague their growth. If you mourn, there is still hope for you. It shows that you care about something that is beyond yourself. In the end, it is not the mourners who shall be pitied, but rather those who do not mourn. Those who look at suffering humanity and are not moved to compassion to the point of weeping, they need Christ as their savior. And then they will comprehend his teaching. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we come to you with open hearts this morning. Some are very suffering from anxiety and pain of mourning. But it, in the end, it makes them understand. And we know because of the cross, because of resurrection, that those that have gone have a life of eternity. And those that have Christ in their hearts, they understand. And so, Lord, be with us this morning. And let us open our hearts to the need of a Savior. Amen.